you've got your Bibles, I want you to meet me in Joshua chapter 1. If you're new with us this morning, this is week 2 of what's going to be an expository series of sermons that we're going to make our way through the, uh, the book of Joshua. If you guys, if whoever's controlling the lighting, if you could just uh, raise the lights a little bit, uh, would be good if we could see see the scriptures here. But as you're making your way, uh, by the way, let me just say this, we're doing baptisms next week. Uh, so if you have not been baptized, or maybe you were baptized, but you didn't remember it because you were six weeks old uh, when that happened, I uh, want to encourage you. Uh, it's an awesome thing to be able to publicly declare um, that I am a follower of Jesus Christ amongst the community of believers who are here to support you. So if you're here today and you don't know what uh, that word expository means, it's a big churchy word. It just simply means uh, that we let the text set, set the agenda for the message. And so we are people of the book here, and uh, we walk through what the scriptures teach. Uh, I'm a firm believer there's not power in my words, but there is power in the word, the word of God. And so as a preacher, I just want to unleash the word of God. And I believe when we do that, uh, that God's word will get to our hearts and will have a transformative effect on our lives. Joshua chapter 1, we're here in it this morning. I'm going to walk through the chapter with you. Uh, Last week, I gave an overview. Uh, Some of you all can remember uh, the book of Joshua can be divided into four sections. Uh, first section makes up Joshua chapters 1 through 5. The word that makes up that section is faith. Uh, It's all about getting the people ready to go into the promised land. And there's an incredible challenge that awaits them. We'll, We'll deal with that a little bit today. It's called the Jordan River. And so they're going to have a defining moment in their life where they're going to be faced with something that they don't have the capacity uh, to do on their own, and that's cross the Jordan River. And they're going to have to trust God in new and in fresh ways. And we learned last week that to follow God and to unleash his promises in our life, to experience them, will inevitably put us in some defining moments in our own lives. Uh, God is not into a hand-me-down kind of faith. God is trying to establish a story of his own faithfulness in our own lives. And in order for that to happen, he's going to position us with some Jordan rivers where we're going to have to trust God and him alone to get us through. Chapter 6 through 12, the second section of the book of Joshua can be summed up in the word fight. The book of Joshua is a bloody book. In fact, at minimum, there are 15 corporate battles that happen. It's as if God is saying, when you get over to the promised land, folk ain't going to put up for sale signs. They're not going to be like, ooh, Israel's coming. Let's go ahead and put our house in escrow, leave the keys under the doormat. You've got it. No, God is actually saying, I- I've-, I've promised it to you, but in order for you to lay hold of it, you're actually going to have to fight. You're going to have to go through some battles to experience what I have for you. Chapters 13 through 21 uh, make up the longest section of the book of Joshua. It can be summed up with the word blessing. Here in chapters 13 through 21, God is divvying out the long-awaited promised land to the various tribes of Israel. Notice the order. Blessing is always on the backside of fight. In fact, if you put blessing before struggle, what you actually get is entitlement. So it's actually a good thing. Thank you. I heard one mercy or amen or something over there. Uh, but that's actually a good, good word for us parents. If we just give our kids stuff and don't position them to struggle for it, we produce entitlement. And I gave you a good definition of entitlement last week. Uh, entitlement happens when there is consumption without contribution. 
when there is blessing without struggle. But God also understood that one of the side effects of blessing is spiritual amnesia. That's why he ends the book of Joshua, the last major section, Joshua chapters 22, 23, 24. Here's Joshua, an old man, reminding the subsequent generations of the faithfulness of God. In fact, one of the things I said last week, that is what the older saints, the older godly saints, the patriarchs of scriptures do. In their winter years of life, they simply sit down with the generations below them and they tell stories of God's faithfulness. That's why I I, I went out on a limb last week and I I love the fact that we're not just a multi-ethnic church, but we're a multi-generational church. And I shared with the older saints, listen, God doesn't want you grumbling your way out here. So if you're an older saint and you've got decades under your belt walking with God, here's what God wants of you. He wants you to hold court over here at Hobie's. He wants you to hold court at McDonald's. He wants you to hold court at, at, at Denny's with a long line of young believers with pen and paper in hand waiting to glean pearls of wisdom from you as you just talk of the faithfulness of God. That's what older godly saints do. They don't grumble. They don't complain. And if you don't have young people knocking down your door, trying to glean wisdom, it could be because you're a cynical, bitter person. If you want to send me an email or letter on that, um, my email address is carltonsaunders at alcf.net. So now we're ready to get through the various chapters. Pick me up in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1. It says these words. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise. It's as if God is saying, uh, I'm ready to send you into a new season, but I can't get you into the new season until there's some stuff from the old season that dies. Moses is dead. Now we keep it moving. My dad is here, and he's known to say that when a man of God dies, nothing of God dies. When you die, the kingdom of God will continue moving on. God says, Moses, love him. He's dead, but this train is going to keep on moving. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and to the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place. I love this, that the sole of your foot will tread upon. I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, of the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success. God is not anti-success wherever you go. This book of the land shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. God is not anti-prosperity. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Think he's trying to make a point? Don't be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word 
that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered, Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Holy may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now, Father, would the seed of your word fall on good ground? Would it take root? Would it produce much fruit? Save souls today, we pray. Strengthen the hearts of your children. Amen. In the middle of the week, in the mid-1940s, a middle-aged man knocked on the door of a church in Brooklyn. The door opened, and he asked to speak to the pastor and made a simple request. True story. He said, Pastor, if you don't mind, I'm not here to meet with you. I'm not here to disturb anyone. I, I just want to use your sanctuary. I'd love to just sit down in your sanctuary and meet with God. It was obvious from the looks of this man that he was stressed out. It seemed as if the weight of the world was on his shoulders. And indeed it was. As he sat down, he knew he needed to meet with God because the decision facing him could cause him to be blacklisted. It could cause him even his job and to be banned from his industry. But he also knew that this decision could change the trajectory of human history in his industry. So he needed to meet with God and get the courage he needed to move forward on his convictions. He sat there for a couple of hours, praying, talking to, listening to God, and he grabbed his hat and left. A couple weeks later, that man, Branch Rickey, would sign Jackie Robinson the first African-American man to play in the modern major leagues. That decision took courage. This morning, Abundant Life, I, I want to excavate this theme of courage. The idea of courage, it presupposes, as we'll see in just a few moments, challenges. It demands facing trials, hard things. Courage, as Angela Duckworth says, requires grit. It means facing the barriers and obstacles of life, looking yourself in the mirror, and deciding in the face of risk, at times even doubt, I'm moving forward. Because life is filled with 
Hard times and difficulties and the unexpected and trials and tribulations. These are, these are just the norm to the landscape of life. In order to be a successful, God-glorifying God follower of Jesus, it implies courage. To follow God is not an exercise in comfort. It demands that there are times when we are going to have to dig down deep into the reservoirs of our soul and by his spirit pull up courage. You know, I've been serving here. It's been my, it's been my joy to be here as your pastor for about a year and a half now. And I've sat with, with many of you over cups of coffee in your homes, and I've been astounded by the incredible stories of courage that I've just heard, just gleaned from your lives. Just last Sunday, I, I preached here, of course, and then we had a great time on the parking lot afterwards. It was great celebrating with you all and, and just catching up with you. And then, then after that, I went to hang out with a, with a family from our church where this woman is in the final stages of cancer, unless God shows up and pulls off a miracle, she's probably going to be home in glory in a matter of weeks. Sat there with, with her husband and with her family, and I was just amazed by their courage. Courage by the husband as he looks after and takes care of her. Courage of the kids as they're trying to go on with life. And I remember getting in the car afterwards, just driving away, just, just thinking about the continued courage they're going to need in the days and weeks and months and years ahead as they're going to try to navigate life without their, their wife, their mother, their friend. Courage. A couple months ago, I met with a with a couple in my office, he'd just been diagnosed with a debilitating disease, and unless if God shows up big time in a miraculous way, he's going to go down a path of, of suffering. And I was astounded by his faith, by her faith, and the courage that awaits them every step of the journey. Prayed with another couple. She just got diagnosed with stage three ovarian cancer and the courage that they've got to face. Talked with several married couples here where, like all of us, you go through seasons of difficulty in marriage and you've got to make up in your mind, am I going to do the convenient thing and quit? Or am I going to, am I going to do the hard thing and tough it out? In this life, you will have trouble. So will you be courageous? Shoot, we live in the Bay. 10 million people, 2 to 4% Christian. To represent Christ in the Bay, this ain't the Bible Belt, demands courage. But what does that mean? I want us to walk through because our passage is all about courage. Courage is like a Cheeto. You know it when you see it, but you can't really explain it. You ever try to explain a Cheeto? What is courage? 
Our text is all about courage. This word just keeps popping up over and over again. In fact, it's, it's normally paired with another word, uh, strength. And in fact, if you were to, to do a word study, you would see the, uh, this pairing, uh, strong or strength and, and courageous, appears about 41 times uh, in the Bible. And in each of those contexts, the overwhelming majority of times in which it's used, it's, it's used in the context of a person experiencing a challenge that they don't have the resources to navigate on their own. In fact, that's how I want to begin this message. It's all about, first point, the challenge of courage. When you look back at verse 2, God announces, okay, Joshua, we've just done the funeral. Moses is dead. This train's going to keep on moving. Here's your assignment. Now, I want you to arise and cross this Jordan. This is a telling moment. It is a defining moment in their life. Now, remember, their, their, their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, their, their defining moment was the Red Sea. They crossed it. But, but just about all of them are dead. And so God, who is not interested in a hand-me-down cultural faith, he says, now it's your turn to trust me. I am commanding you. That word arise in the Hebrew, it's a command. I'm not suggesting. I'm not giving you something to pray about. I'm not giving you something to think about. I'm not giving you tweetable advice to consider. I am commanding you arise and cross this Jordan. If you understand anything about the Jordan River, you, you know this was no easy task. In fact, it was really an impossible task. Uh, geologists tell us that the Jordan River is dug out of the deepest gorge on the earth. If you ever seen the Jordan River, it has more of a separating property to it than a connecting property to it. Mountains on either side. And in fact, the time of year in which God makes the command, it is the worst time of year to cross the Jordan because it's just coming off the rainy season, which means its banks are overflowing. They are told to do something they cannot do by themselves. And following God means there are times in which God will tell you to do stuff that you go, this is crazy. I don't have the resources. The letters behind my name won't fix it. The money in my bank account won't solve it. My social network can't, can't solve it. I'm going to have to lift up mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help, knowing that ultimately my help comes from the Lord. Courage always involves a challenge, but there are two things about this challenge. To deal with the challenge of courage means, watch it now, that I am going to have to deal with, and I'm choosing my words carefully, the illusion of control. You cannot be a control freak and be courageous at the same time. Did you hear that? If life for you, if you only make decisions based on whether or not you can control it, get your arms around it, you won't go very far in your walk with God. To follow God and to cross the Jordan rivers he is calling you to cross means I'm going to have to at times just sit back and realize I'm not in control, as if you ever were, by the way. I, I told you all a couple months back, I hate roller coasters. I don't like them. I'm going to go ahead and turn in my man card. Um, and the reason why I'm turning, turning my man card is because, of course, I don't like roller coasters. And the woman God blesses me with, she loves them. Anything with the name Goliath on it or Superman on it, steep drops, she loves it. Which means I'm that dude holding her purse. The reason why I don't like roller coasters is you strap in and you have no control. 
You can't control the speed. You can't control the drops. I'm a control freak, so I don't ride roller coasters. I end up holding purses. Too many Christians holding purses while other people are enjoying the ride. Because you have to control it. There are times in which God will say, I am calling you to face something that you cannot control. Will you trust me? Or will you, heard, or will you hold your purse telling stories of other people's courage and not having your own courageous stories? Second thing about this challenge, not only does it mean that we have to go to war with the illusion of, of control, but secondly, we have to go to war with fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Verse 9, God says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Now, these words are, are a little bit misleading. On the one hand, Fear is a feeling, and you can't help what you feel. But if you study these words in the Hebrew, the idea of these words, it doesn't so much have to do with a feeling. It's what you do with the feeling. If, if, if fear paralyzes you from faith, now it's sinful. So here they are. They're going to have to go out into the battlefield, 15 corporate battles, do you not feel as if when they were running out on the battlefield, they, they would feel fear? Of course you're going to feel fear. But the point is, in spite of how you feel, you're still running out onto the battlefield. So that courage is not the absence of fear. Instead, courage is faith in the face of fear. Courage admits that, that, that what's before me is daunting. I, 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 if I'm going to be honest with you, I feel fearful. But I'm going to set my eyes not on the Jordan River as much as the God who created the Jordan River. My eyes aren't ultimately on the cancer. It's on the God who can heal cancer. My eyes aren't ultimately on, on the financial difficulty. It's on Jehovah Jireh who can provide for all of which I'm going through. That's where my eyes are set. Of course, the telltale biblical example of this are the three Hebrew boys, Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You talk about individuals who had to have felt fear but allowed their faith to override their fear. It's these boys in Daniel 3. If you grew up in the church, maybe you're familiar with the story. Here's Nebuchadnezzar. He announces to his whole kingdom, uh, I've set up this image. Uh, when you hear the music playing, I want you to bow down and worship this image. In the midst of everybody bowing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand out in courage, and they don't bend the knee knowing it would cost them their life. Nebuchadnezzar gets the word. He calls them back into his office. He says, I'm going to give you a mulligan. I'm going to give you a do-over here. It's just me and you talking. I'm not going to put you out on front street. We're, we're, we're going to cue up the band again. I'm going to give you a chance to bow. And then he messes up and he says these words. If you don't bow, you're going to go to the fiery furnace. And what God is there who can deliver you from my hands? 
think they felt a little bit of fear? Absolutely. But look at their faith in the face of fear. Look at it with me. Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, I love that. What are they saying? We're not following God for the benefits package. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Courage! When faced with death, they had to have felt fear. Someone's here today, and maybe you're a single person in a relationship, and Maybe you feel pressure to compromise your biblical principles and engage in premarital sex. And you're going, if I take a courageous stand for purity, it could cost me that relationship. Courage is faith in God in spite of the consequences. Some of you are going, this disease can take my life. But I'm going to have courage. I'm going to show joy even in the midst of it. Courage. Others of you are saying, I'm faced with a career decision that, that man, if, if, I'm, if I make the wrong turn here, it could be the end of my career. That's my Jordan River. There's, there's some fear there. But, but I'm going to step out and trust God. He now moves from the challenge of fear to the focal point of fear. God is saying, you can trust me to cross this Jordan because I'm with you. When you look at verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I was with Moses. Listen to it. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Listen, verse 5 is not on the History Channel. This is still a promise that we can take to the bank. The same God who was with them, he says, I will be with you. You can look at your Jordan rivers. You can trust me because I'm on the other side of it. You can, you, you, can, you can cross these Jordans knowing that I am on the other side of the barrier and of the challenge. I'll never forget you know, as I shared earlier, Corey and I are just struggling with, you know, uh, what does it mean to steward tech well in our house? And, and from the time when, when our kids were little, um, Corey and I just made the decision, our, we're not going to have a video game culture in our house, um, especially during the school year. Now, we're not going to be legalistic. We have video game systems in our house. But our, our rule during the school year was um, Monday through Friday, no video games. Oh, well, Friday, right after school, you could play for a couple hours. And then Saturday, we'll let you play for a couple hours. Uh, no video games on Sundays. That's just kind of how we roll in our house. Now, our youngest boy, Jaden, from the time he was a little kid, I mean, he, I think he came out the womb just with a joystick in his hand. Kid loves, loves video games. And so much so that, I mean, you know, he, he'd run in the house right after school on Friday. And that's the first thing he wanted to do. I'll never forget, Jaden had to have been in kindergarten. He's a young boy. And um, he got a bad report on a Friday. Bad report, was disrespectful, just had a rough week, and, you know, um, we, we got the note on that, and so I sat down with Jade, and I said, hey, hey, bro, um, bad week for you, man, so um, I'm going to give you two options. You got some discipline coming. Um, one option could be uh, a, a spanking, 
I can't believe I said that in California. Um, <laughs> we were in Tennessee at the time. Don't send me to jail. Uh, although mama spanked. I'm going to put my mom out there. We didn't, I didn't grow up in the timeout ministry household. God bless you for those of you who did that. It was time out. Let me get this switch. But anyways, um, don't worry. I wasn't abused. Uh, none of that. But, but, but here's what we would always do. We, we'd, always, we'd always tell our kids in advance, if they got a spanking, here's, here's the amount. We didn't want to be out of control with it. So I said, look, man, you, you get three swats or I'll let you choose no video games. Kids five, six years old, and the eyes are going back and forth, and you can just see the wheels turning here. I'll never forget what this little boy did. Jaden took a deep breath. He said, Dad, I'm a man up. Spank me. <laughs> Picked him up. Kid was like, man, spank is going to be over just like that. I'll be playing video games. No problem. I'm good. I'm good. Now, what led to his decision? He saw what awaited him on the other side of the challenge. God says you can get through it because you know I'm with you, and I'll be with you on the other side of the challenge. Not only does God suggest that he'll be with us on the other side of the challenge, he actually says, I'm going to be with you through the challenge. I'm going to be with you as you cross it. I read the book, The Summer 42 Faith. It's an incredible book. It talks about the faith of Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson and how that gave them courage. And one of their early memories, excuse me, one of their early meetings, Branch Rickey says this to Jackie Robinson before Jackie takes the field. He says to him, God is with us in this, Jackie. You know your Bible. It's good, simple Christianity for us to face realities and to recognize what we're up against. We can't go out and preach and bust our heads against the wall. We've got to fight our problems together with tact and common sense. Amazing. Back in the 1940s, he says, all this stuff is going to come down the pike and, and people are going to criticize us, but God is with us. Whatever you face, God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, if you study Joshua chapter 1, the predominant name used for God is Lord in all caps, which is the name Yahweh. It is the personal name for God, the name that God gives suggesting, I am with you. In fact, it's the name that he gave Moses when he says, Moses, here's your Jordan River. I am calling you to go down. Tell O Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses is like, that's crazy. Who should I tell sent me? Yahweh. The God who is with you, the personal name for God. Now, I want you to hear this illustration carefully. I'm not accusing our president of this. I'm just saying what he's accused of. What he is accused of is something called collusion. I'm not saying he's guilty or whatever. If you've got a problem with this illustration, again, my email address is carlton.saunders at alcf.net. Our president is being accused of collusion, him and his administration. And what this means is they're saying that when he went into battle with Hillary Clinton, he worked with a third party behind the scenes to gain an unfair advantage. That is collusion. 
When God says in our text, I am with you, what God is saying is, people of God, when you go out onto your battlefield, if your enemies accuse you of working behind the scenes with a third party that gave you an unfair advantage, say guilty as charged, you're working with me behind the scenes, and that's collusion. To be a follower of Jesus means I am guilty of collusion, that God is with me. And he fights my battles. Friends, if you're paralyzed by fear and you're not courageous, you cannot possibly believe that the God of the universe is with you. But if you really believe that, you'll be courageous. Now he moves, though, to the foundation for courage. Our text gives one heck of a disclaimer. God says, but, but, I know you love these promises. I, I, I know you love this message so far, but all of this hinges on your commitment to the word. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, being careful to do according to all that is written in it, verses 8 and 9, and then you will have good success. In other words, you can only claim Joshua chapter 1 as long as you are meticulously committed to God's word. You can't be in sin and expect to cross the Jordan River. You have to be committed to what God's word says. Biblical courage without biblical obedience is worldly foolishness. Biblical courage without biblical obedience is worldly foolishness. In fact, we'll see this in a couple chapters. When here the people of God disobey the word of God, they take some of the devoted things Achan and his family did in the battle of Jericho. Then they go up against tiny Ai and they lose that battle. Why? They were not obedient to God's word. Verse 8, he specifically says, watch this, this is a word for us in the bay, this book of the law, this book of the law. When he talks about this book of the law, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Hang in there with me, I promise you I'm coming to your neighborhood, but if you were to ask me what is the defining feature of the law, it can be summed up in one word, different. And all the laws that he gives... He's basically saying, I am forming my people, and when you get over there in the promised land, surrounded by all these other nations, I want you to look comprehensively different. Different in what you eat, different in how you work. Everyone else does a seven-day work week. You're only going to do a six-day work week, and you're going to Sabbath. You're going to be different in how you steward your money. Different, 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 different. Why? I don't want you to be different just for the sake of being different. I want you to be different so that the world looks at you and says, why are you different? And you can point to me, the one who makes the difference in your life. So he's saying your difference comes about as you conform not to the culture, but to the word. Now, I want to say a word here. We live in the Bay, totally secular environment. 10 million people, 2 to 4% Christian. 
One of the most courageous things we can do in the Bay is to be committed in a humble, gracious, kind, Christ-like way to the Word of God and not the culture. Every day, especially in the Bay, we feel the tension of who will call the shots in my life, the culture or God's Word. So let me give you five courageous principles that I believe Christians in general, but especially we here in the Bay, must make commitments to. Commitment number one is what I call a biblical worldview. And specifically, I'm talking about pluralism versus Christianity. You and I live in a pluralistic culture, which means this. Here in the Bay, you oftentimes hear people pretty much saying, you be a good Christian, you, you be a good Muslim, you be a good Mormon, you be a good Orthodox Jew, just be true to yourself. This is a pluralistic worldview that says there's multiple roads to God. I was just sharing my faith. I was in uh, New York. I was in Brooklyn uh, catching the, uh, the Uber ride uh, to, to the airport. And I'm just sharing my faith with, the, with a guy who happens to be, to be Muslim, and, and he actually married a, a Christian girl, son of a preacher, and, and I'm sharing, sharing my faith with him, and I'm going, man, how does your, how does your marriage work. Well, I, I just allow her to be a good Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm a good Muslim. It just kind of works that way. And, and I said, yeah, I appreciate that. But let me ask you another question. What do Muslims say about Jesus? Well, well we believe he's a good prophet. Well, here's what Christians say. We believe he was not just a prophet. We believe he was the son of God, fully God, and is the only way to God. Now, I want you to hear me. You and I are saying com- two completely different things. We both can't be right. So you go to work with pluralistic people who will try to dilute your commitment to the word of God. I don't say this for us to be spiritual bullies. But you're going to have to make up your mind, who am I listening to? The culture? Well, the word, secondly, we, we live in a in a society that just has different sexual views, premarital sex, third, issues of abortion. I say this knowing that this message is going to be on radio. There's grace for everyone. The kingdom of God is filled with, with people who've had multiple abortions. There's no sin that can separate us from the grace and love of Christ. My hope for abundant life is that we don't take the word of God and use it as an Uzi and, and just kind of ramrod people. I want this to be a place where a person may have just walked into Planned Parenthood last weekend but can come in, in this weekend and find the love of Christ. But I also make no bones about it. I know exactly where I'm ministering. The Bible says profoundly different things about life inside the womb than the culture does. And the question is, who will you listen to? There's got to be courage as it relates to letting the word inform how we give in our tithing. The world would say it's ridiculous to give 10%. Fifth, I want to be careful here. I can put this in the same categories. As a third, and I run this on the radio, and I don't say this to be belligerent. My wife and I are very good friends with a couple who, gay couple who happen to be married. In fact, they're, uh, they're going to watch our kids. They've been over to the house. 
We haven't had a discussion on where we stand on this issue. My approach has always been they need to know that we love them and love them profoundly. People are not issues to be debated. They're human beings made in the image of God, and therefore they must be loved. But biblical love does not pat you on the back and say, do you. Whatever makes you happy. Biblical love has a standard. And what I'm saying is not popular. And it takes courage to say that the word of God says things that are completely different than what our culture says about the institution of marriage. And I realize we've just lost some people. Now, the undercurrent to all this is love. It's love. I don't come in and and announcing these issues. I want people to know that I love them first before we dig down into the weeds. I think what's killing Christianity today is the church is overrun with a bunch of spineless pseudo-Christians who won't take a stand. Joshua understood this. That's why at the end of the book, he says, listen, as for me and my house. One more thing as we round third and head for home. God says, I'm going to bless you when you make a commitment to my word. You you take that one step and you commit to being courageously committed to my word and I'll do the rest. If you study blessings in the Bible, if you study miracles in the Bible, do a study on it. 99% of the time, whenever God performs a miracle in the Bible, he always requires the person to first take a courageous step. He doesn't just give them the miracle, take the step. I can take to the widow of Zarephath. The widow of Zarephath is at death's door. The prophet Elijah comes up with the word of God and prophet Elijah says to her, fix me some dinner. She says, that's a problem. I only have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left. And that's just for me and my son. I'm going to eat this and we're going to die. Elijah says, fix me some dinner. Be courageous and trust me. She takes a courageous step of faith, pours the flour, pours the oil. And as she does this, her jug and jar get replenished and filled up. But that only happens when she chose to trust the word of God. Some of you haven't seen God move in your life in that way because you haven't first taken the courageous step of faith to trust God at his word. Finally, there is the legacy of courage. Look at verse 3. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. You know what he's saying? You will only get as much of the promised land as your courageous feet take you. No courageous steps, no land. Small courageous steps, small land. Big courageous steps, big land. 
Could it be God is saying to you, I have so much more for you to experience in this life. I have blessings untold on layaway for you, but you've got to make the payments by trusting me and taking courageous strides. God says you will only get as much as you trust me with. Wow. We close with two stories. Two bookend stories. Put the image on the screen for me, if you will. On November 25th, 1980, a guy by the name of Roberto Duran stepped into the ring against Sugar Ray Leonard in New Orleans. It was part two of their fight. First part, Duran shocked the world and beat Sugar Ray Leonard. Now it's part two, and they get in the ring for eight rounds, and many of us in this room can remember that fight. It's, it goes down as one of the most memorable ever in boxing history. Sugar Ray Leonard embarrassed Roberto Duran, made him look silly for eight rounds. Finally, midway through the eighth round, Roberto Duran shocked the world again, but this time not because of his boxing prowess, but in the face of opposition and challenge, he did the unthinkable. He stopped midway through the eighth round, waved his glove, and said, no, Moss. No more. I quit. Tragically, this man who would win so many championships, his legacy today is not as a championship fighter. His legacy is that of a quitter. Is that your legacy? On the other side, this summer I read a fascinating book. I promise you I didn't just read books all summer. I hung out with my family too, but read a fascinating book. That's Eric Little. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, you know part of his story. Eric Little, Eric Little was a Jesus-loving runner who who ran in the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. He was a man of the book. His convictions ran deep, so deep, that in the event in which he was heavily favored to win gold, he said, I can't run because it's on the Sabbath. It contradicts with what I know the word to teach. They thought he was crazy. He says, no, I'm formed, not by culture. I'm formed by the word. And he stands strong and he would end up running another event, an event they didn't think he'd win gold in, but he ran it on a different day, and he ends up winning gold. And then he does something even more courageous, something Chariots of Fire doesn't even unpack and unfold. After winning gold in the 1924 Paris Olympics game, it was, it was thought, his life is set. You just kind of go on the speaking tour, make all this money, uh, leverage your platform for Jesus, do it in safety. But Eric Little says, that's not what God's calling me to do. My Jordan River, that's my paraphrase, Eric Little says, is God is calling me to go to dangerous China and to share the good news over there. That's my Jordan River. I said, are you crazy? All the accolades you're turning down, it could even cost you your life. Eric Little says, that's what God's calling me to. I'm going to be true to that. And he takes a courageous step, goes over to China where he would eventually die in his 40s in a, in a, in a, in a, in a Chinese death camp. His legacy is one of courage. Courage. 
So I just, I just want you to look at the bookends. When you look at the trajectory of your life in the rearview mirror, are you known for being like Eric Little? Or how many times have you said no mas? Are you a quitter? God says, I've got good things in store for you. But it's time for you to stop being a spectator Christian. It's time for you to have, as one of you all told me, wet feet faith. Where your feet are wet from trusting God by getting in your own Jordan rivers. By the way, as the band comes, you know the very emblem of our faith screams courage. There is no cross of Calvary without courage. Can you imagine if Jesus was not courageous, we would all be headed for an eternity in hell. But here's Jesus, Hebrews 12 says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That was his Jordan River.